When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money, but are your bills even accurate? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million to save. Visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com. I know you're paying attention to global events as well as what's going on in our nation. War and increased conflict is bubbling up in more places. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now, and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. 833-995-G-O-L-D. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. And welcome to a very special edition of Open Line Friday. We have a lot planned on today's program, including the news of the day. But we also have the pleasure of welcoming Catherine Limbaugh back to announce the next recipient of the Great American Business Award it is uh, wonderful to be here with you today, uh, ladies and gentlemen. 800-282-2882 is the phone number to be a part of the conversation on this Open Line Friday. But uh, as to the Great American Business Award, this was something that Catherine and Rush started last year in response to the pandemic and its impact on small business. We know so well the uh, the backbone of America that small business represents, and we know equally well uh, how how tough it has been for this past year as these um, these men and women get up and, and go to work every single day producing for their clients, for their customers, for their families. And we know that story, right? So many times, so many times it's the uh, it's the small business owner. It's the uh, great American business owner uh, that is out there uh, struggling well after uh, midnight and very, very early in the morning. Now, sadly, Rush was not able to see their idea, idea through to fruition. But Catherine is making sure his wish has become a reality. And we all get to experience that together today. That is the remarkable nature of this award. It, it's, it's, it's going to be uplifting, motivational, exciting, and I can't wait to... Uh, to get underway with it. But uh, first, we have to start on a, on a bit of a uh, of a somber note, as uh, unfortunately, uh, we're, we're getting this uh, news uh, that came through the overnight hours at the FedEx facility uh, near the Indianapolis airport as a, a gunman killed eight people and wounded several others before apparently taking his own life in that late night attack at the FedEx facility near the airport in Indianapolis. Now, details are still forthcoming. There was a there was a, a, a press briefing earlier today. Uh, there, there's not much still known 
or there is much to learn. Uh, there is not much known uh, still about a motive or or any of that uh, sort of stuff. And, and really, it's it's a horrible, horrible tragedy on so many levels and in so many ways. And uh, our our prayers are with the people of Indianapolis, those great people in the heartland who who work to make a, a company like FedEx work. It's it's I think it's their one of their biggest hubs, one of their biggest facilities in the entire world. And uh, we will get you updated updated on that uh, on that story as the program uh, continues to unfold as you've been watching in the news democrats and republicans and some democrats and democrats are splitting on issues like defunding the police and expanding the supreme court those are both subjects we're also going to dig into on today's program along with news from the border and cancel culture and censorship you know we actually had a caller yesterday ask about what being woke really means it was a sincere question. What does it mean to be woke? I hear this term. Where did it come from? How, how, do we, how do we make sense of this? Well, later in the show, you'll hear Barack Obama explain it in his own terms, along with, uh, with, with a heavy metal musician from the 80s who's got an interesting take on, on cancel culture. But before we get into the important issues of the day, you know, it's so important to understand that Rush had so much faith in this country and the people who make it work. Extraordinary Americans doing ordinary things. That was his mantra. Following passions, pursuing dreams. In the very same way that Rush pursued his, and taking advantage of the opportunities that being an American allows every one of us. That was something he championed regularly. So before we, we welcome Catherine Limbaugh on the other side of the break that's going to be coming up here, let's just listen to Rush in his own words, describe what America is all about. We have a burgeoning class system that people move into and out of various income groups many times in their lives. And it's all because people are different. And it's all because they have different ambitions and desires at different times in their lives. Some people don't discover until they're 40 what they love. Some people know at age 20 what they love, but they have a job they can't leave for a number of reasons, so they can't do what they love, and they have to stay at the job that they hate, and eventually maybe they get laid off or fired from that job, and by virtue of necessity, since there's nothing else, they have to go do what they love, and for the first time in their lives, they're happy. At age 40, Maybe not have anything at the moment, but they love what they're doing. They finally are doing what they're doing. And they're happy and they're loving it. And they're spending all their time at it. And it may pay off and it may not. This goes on all the time in this country. There's a degree of entrepreneurship and creativity. You can't hold it back. You can't quantify it. You can't categorize it. You can't tamp it down. And it's worth our while to try to get to these people and grab them by the shoulders and tell them, no, do not lose faith in your country. It's the biggest mistake in the world you can make, because while you lose faith in your country, a bunch of people haven't heard the message are going to be out there running rings around you. They're going to be inventing things, creating things. They're going to be working. They're going to be happy. They're going to be doing things you don't think are possible anymore, because you're investing in a guy, and they're investing in themselves. And that's the difference. If you want to invest in a guy, invest in you. Don't invest in a Barack Obama. Don't invest in a me. Don't invest in, you know, invest in yourself. That's what America allows you to do. 
America allows you to love yourself. America allows you to think you're the greatest thing on earth. America allows you to have confidence and bravado. America allows you the opportunity to put what you think is best on trial and see if it flies. It's always been what America's about. You oftentimes will will talk to people as you begin to pursue the dream that you have, right? The dream that you have. And you'll have naysayers all around you. you you'll hear them, that guy can't be done. I can't, you, can, you can't do that. That's not going to work. You're, you're not, you're crazy. You j- just, just keep doing what you're doing and collect that check. And, you know, d- don't, don't worry about pursuing that. The reason why people tell you it can't be done is because those people that are around you telling you it can't be done is because they've never done it. They've never done it. The idea of envisioning a creation, envisioning a a, a business, envisioning that pursuit where you are responsible for for the growth of, of, of a tiny germ of an idea that expands outward, becomes your passion, your driving force. Think of all the people. Who, who likely thought or thought to tell or even told Rush along the way, well, you can't, you know, you got you can't do this. This is not going to, none of this is going to. And he defies all the odds to become the greatest broadcaster of all time. You think about that. You think about that passion where you live and breathe it 24 7, 365. It's an incredible thing. And, and America is such a special place, and the businesses in America are such special enterprises. N- nobody, nobody knows how this journey ends, but we know where we want it to begin, and we know where we want to get to. And this country affords us that opportunity. It still does, and that's so hugely, hugely important to understand. And so that, that's why it's, it's going to be so wonderful to, uh, to visit with Catherine Limbaugh in this next segment and, and to talk with her uh, about the great American business award and, and to follow this journey around these businesses uh, that we're going to hear from uh, in this hour, uh, their journeys, their passions, the risks and how they achieved, how they achieved. People always look at success and maybe they covet the success or they doubt the success or any of that kind of thing. But what's fascinating to me is they don't see the hard work, the late hours, the missed weekends. They they don't see any of that. They just see the results. Well, the results come because of how hard it is that that you work. And then you are rewarded. And then you get to get up and do it for the rest of your life if you're blessed. I am Brett Witterbull. It's so great to be here on this Open Line Friday edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show as your guide host. You know, when you look at this this program here, it takes a lot to earn a place within this program if you're a sponsor. I've come to really respect the research and the work that goes on in the background here on the Rush Limbaugh Show. Rush taught everyone here how to measure a sponsor's worthiness by how much they could help you, the listener. It was an important criteria. Will they help you? And can they be trusted? Oxford Gold Group. Oxford Gold Group meets that criteria. If you're worried about your hard-earned dollars becoming worthless or your 401k or IRA losing value, now is the time to consider moving into gold. Don't sit back. Watch your savings and retirement accounts suffer. Make your money work as hard for you as you did for your money. 
put your savings and retirement accounts into something real, like gold and silver. Real gold and silver you can actually have in your hands. How do you do that? By calling Oxford Gold Group today at 833-404-GOLD. The Oxford Gold Group will teach you everything you need to know about owning real gold and silver, and it's a lot easier than you think. Call the Oxford Gold Group right now at 833-404-GOLD to get your free gold and silver investment guide. And by the way, if you should ever decide to sell your gold or silver, the Oxford Gold Group will buy it back. They don't charge you anything when you sell your gold and silver to Oxford. Get your free Oxford Gold Group investing guide today and learn how easy it is to have real gold delivered to your home or how you can have real gold and silver in your retirement account. Call the Oxford Gold Group today, 833-404-GOLD. That's 833-404-G-O-L-D. I'm Brett Witterbull. Catherine Limbaugh comes by next on The Rush Limbaugh Show. And I am Brett Witterbull, your guide host today on The Rush Limbaugh Show. And it is a... Uh, a real a real treat for me to welcome uh, Catherine Limbaugh back to the program. Catherine, how are you? It is so good to talk to you. Hello, Brett. Great to talk to you and everyone as well. I'm doing I'm doing well. Very good. Thank you. You know, we, we, I'm, I'm aware that uh, uh, coming up uh, uh, tomorrow on Saturday is uh, two, two months since we lost uh, the most amazing man in, in all of our lives. And, uh, you know, I just I just wanted to to say how much uh, we obviously miss him, how much the audience misses him, and how much we're thinking about uh, you and and the family. And and um, it, it's 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 been an an amazing time to see the outpouring of folks coming to to support and to uh, uh, talk about Rush. You narrated a very poignant, emotional special tribute to Rush. Beautiful one hour program on video that was made available first to this audience. Tribute to the radio's greatest of all time, Rush Hudson Limbaugh. Thank you for doing that. Can you talk a little bit about how this came together and where the listeners can watch it? Absolutely. Absolutely. We really wanted everyone to be able to be a part of Rush's life beyond the radio in the current times. We wanted to go back to his early days when he first started, when he first had the idea of what he wanted to do, to being a DJ, on to winning the Medal of Freedom. So we really just took a, a look back at his life through the eyes of his friends and family and people that he worked with. And it was wonderful. It was great to hear people commenting on Rush in, in different ways, talking about his love of golf or talking about his career passions or talking about everything that he had to do to get to where he ended up. So it was it was wonderful. And definitely, if you haven't seen it, please do. It's called Radio's Greatest of All Time, which, of course, is fitting <laughs> for him. And it is available at, at RushLimbaugh.com. We wanted to first air it there so that all of you could could see it first. It, it, it is an amazing journey and uh, so, so much so much warmth in it. It's just it's it's absolutely remarkable. You know, when over the years that I worked with Rush on the show, you know, his passion for, for life, for everything was was so present. And, and, and to, to see it translated out by this testimony is absolutely remarkable. Well, thank you so much. It was it was wonderful to do. And everybody that was a part of it really contributed in a significant way. And we encourage you to see it if you haven't. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the areas uh, of this audience that you and, and Rush appreciated are the owners and those operators of small businesses in this business. And, and now 
you know, in Russia's honor, you've created the Great American Business Award and you're taking nominations. How's the response been so far? It's been huge. We've received many, many nominations over these last weeks. As you mentioned in the beginning, Rush wanted to start this actually at the start of this year, but unfortunately couldn't. So he wanted to recognize small businesses throughout the country that, that really make our our country work. And so we're continuing it on in his honor. But the response has been quite overwhelming and, and wonderful at the same time. You know, you're, you're going to be recognizing another uh, business with an award today. And before we do that, we're going to speak with a couple of these folks. Uh, and I'd like to bring one of them on right now, if that's okay with you, uh, Catherine. Uh, John Cartwright is, is joining us from Zimmerman Meats in Summersville, Missouri. Welcome to the program, uh, John. Good to have you here with Catherine Limbaugh. Thank you. Thank you all for having me on. It's quite an honor. Hello, John. Nice speaking to you today. I know that your your wife, Lindsay, sent in a nomination on your behalf. So if you could tell us a little bit about, about your business and how you started and where it's grown over the years. Sure, I'd be happy to. My brother Josh and I purchased Zimmerman Meats uh, back in 2016, and we have have taken the business uh, since 2016. It was a it's a, a meat processing business. We had a small retail store uh, in Somersville, and we we've gone from about 12 to 14 employees. Um, today we've we've done some expansion and we've added some stores, some retail stores, and and uh, we're we have three locations now, three retail stores plus the the processing plant in in Somersville. And then uh, about about forty employees is where we reside today. Um, so that's that's a in a nutshell what we have going. That's great. And why did you start a small business? I know that you were in corporate America and decided to to leave that world and start your own. Why did you do that? When I was in corporate America, I spent about nine years doing that and. I just felt like it was a job. I wasn't really making an impact. Uh, and sure, I had I had a job and I had a role to 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 do every day. But there wasn't to see the employees that we employ and the families that we that we provide a living for is quite rewarding to Josh and I and and our our spouses. We we enjoy that, and our our retail stores are are quite unique in that we. We're not interested in the in the stuffy, mm-hmm. you know, big, big retail type settings. We're we're all about having a, a store that people are. It's more of a destination. It, pe- people want to come to Zimmerman stores because they're going to get service with a smile. It's not a dreaded dreaded trip mm-hmm. to the grocery store, and so sure. that is is so rewarding to be able to see our employees interact with our customers and and do it in a manner that you don't see. In, in large corporate retail establishments. And we don't have self-checkouts. We don't have stuff like that. We, we have friendly faces that our customers can come in and see day in and day out. And that's, that's quite rewarding for us. I, I understand, uh, uh, sir, that uh, you were so inspired by Rush to go out and get a piece of the pie that you have four children ages two to nine and that the youngest is named Rush, Henry Cartwright. Is that true? Yes, sir. That that is correct. My wife and I both are huge Rush fans, and 
and we're rush babies growing up and and uh have listened to him all of our lives and he's had such a profound impact on our life and his his love for this country and his listeners was was like none that that uh, I can I can explain uh but but the love that we felt from Rush just is never knew him personally but we knew that he loved his listeners and he most definitely loved our country and yes it was to our, our youngest is 2 yes. years old we have four children and uh, we did name him uh after after Rush Limbaugh Amazing. Uh, Catherine, this is an amazing story. Uh, uh, good. want to wish you uh, good luck on this. Uh, 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 John, stick around. We've, uh, we're going to have the reveal coming up here shortly. I'm Brett Witterbull with Catherine Limbaugh on the EIB Network. And I am thrilled to be here today with Catherine Limbaugh as we are visiting with some of the great American Business Award finalists uh, uh, joining us here on the Rush Limbaugh Show uh, Catherine, we were visiting with uh, John Cartwright from Zimmerman Meats in Summersville, Missouri, when we uh, ran up against that hard break, and we've uh, held uh, John over on, on the program to continue the conversation. Uh, uh, Catherine, I know you wanted to, uh, uh, to, to uh, ask him a question. Yes, John, it's incredible that you named your son after Rush, and I know he's smiling thinking about that right now. But I wanted to ask you just a little bit more about your business in terms of how you started and what you might have encountered in challenges. Because your your wife wrote a quote that said, I'm so proud of my husband for not listening to the naysayers that told him he can't do it. What would you say about the challenges that you face starting a small business? It's a big risk. It's a. I left corporate America and had a had a very good wage. I was providing for my family, and we went from that to essentially we didn't know. It was it was a, the world of unknown. And so there's a lot of people that that are sitting in corporate America today that are that are thinking about taking that step, but it's hard. It's it's very hard, and so. When she's mentioning the naysayers, we had a lot of people in our life that would would have said, "No, don't you know? Don't leave a safe job to go on this journey." But but it has been such a blessing to to our families and to our our employees. And and uh, as far as the, the 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 problems and you know, there's a lot of you know, it's it's not an eight to five job. You know, where my brother and I are constantly talking and trying to hone our business, and it may be a Saturday, a Sunday, a Monday, whatever, maybe early in the morning or late at night. So you don't ever get to just turn the clock out and, and leave, and that is that is a challenge. Um, but uh, it's so rewarding, and having a good a good group of people behind you as your employees, it, it just which we have, we're so thankful for the for the committed employees that we have, and uh, and they make our lives a lot easier. Well, good for you, John. I know that you're an exact example of, of what Rush was looking for in terms of wanting to honor American small businesses. So wonderful. Great, great story. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on with you all. Like I said, Rush has been a, a lifelong uh, uh, example for, for my wife and I. Well, thank you. And say hi to your Rush for us. <laughs> we will. We sure will. Thank you so much, John. We appreciate you uh, being there and uh, holding over into this uh, segment. Uh, Catherine, what do you say we, we check in with our second, uh, our second finalist? This is uh, Julie Welch, Oak Knolls Manor out of Caledonia, New York. Uh, Julie is on the line with us. Uh, Catherine, uh, 
This is Julie Welch, and uh, she started her business in 2019 by her and her husband. It's a woman-owned business, and her husband backed her vision. Welcome to the show, Julie. Hi, thank you for having me. Hi, Catherine. Hello, Julie. It's great to talk to you today. We loved your your nomination. So if you could tell us a little bit briefly about your business and how it started. Absolutely. Um, My husband and I would drive out on Caledonia Road to head to church every Sunday, and there was this beautiful property there. And we'd always drive by and say, oh, gosh, if only, you know, we could own that. And it came up for sale by owner. And my husband and I went up. And we ended up making an offer that night, which was crazy because she's working three jobs to keep me home. I'm a mother of four. Um, I would listen to Rush all the time to kind of just keep one foot in the door as to what's going on in the world. And he would simplify it so that you could understand and keep abreast of the current events and, you know, the trends and politics and all of it. So um, my husband would often come home and say, what did Rush have to teach you today? And we'd start chuckling and... Um, I was, he would go to work, and I would head out to the barn. It's a huge Wells barn um, that was built in the early 1900s. There's only 40 of them left in our area. Um, they're called like a country cathedral, and it was chock full of stuff. So I would just start cleaning, and I'd have rush on, and often I'd just start laughing out loud at some of the comments that he would say because he was so uh, so humorous and um Needless to say, we knew the venue needed to be shared or the barn needed to be shared with other people because it was such an icon, and um, it stood for something. It stood for all the hard work that went into the building of it back in the early 1900s, and so it came, became kind of a passion, and my husband um, was able to leave uh, one of his jobs, so he would start working with me on it, and he kind of had the business mind. Um, I was more the vision, but the two of us kind of fricked and fracked through the process, and um, and then we ended up turning it into an event venue and having to go through all the codes, and, you know, we wanted to fold it up a few times because it just seemed too impossible, but we just kept persevering, and Rush was a big part of that perseverance. Good for you. That's wonderful. And now, how many events are you having? Is it a, is it a tough time with, with COVID right now, or are you able to still open up? You know, it's fascinating. Um, a lot of events moved last year. We had five uh, small events that stayed, but this summer uh, we have uh, 20 events. Uh, we only do one a weekend because we want people to really enjoy their family and slow down because it feels like this world has just moved so fast, and it's kind of like back to center, back to enjoying family and life. And um, we are uh, booking for 2022, and we only have five dates available. So it's fascinating to me that through a pandemic, people are still holding out hope and want to live and want to celebrate uh, those magical moments in their life. Good, good. From the pictures that you sent in, it looks absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. Did you do a lot of refurbishment of the original land and the original building? A hundred percent. It was falling down. It was um, you know, we we really um, took it one step at a time. I mean, it's such a monster that you couldn't see the whole vision, and, and it took a lot of different people that would come in to fix something or help with something, and then maybe they would have a vision of, hey, have you thought about this? And, you know, the next thing you know, you were on to the next little stepping stone, and it just kind of kept falling, you know, before us, and we just kept persevering, and um, it was not fun doing the foundation, but the best day was hanging the chandelier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know that you, you thank Rush a lot in your nomination here. 
And it's it's beautiful to see that he provided you such strength and inspiration, and and hopefully we can to others listening today who are are hoping to start a small business or wanting to. So great for you. Thank you. And Russ truly was an inspiration, and in his hearing loss. I, you know, our daughter lost her hearing at four to a virus, uh, just kind of out of the blue, and it was around the same time Russ lost his hearing and. It was so great to hear Russ staying on the radio and persevering through hearing loss and the challenges of wearing a cochlear implant. And she now wears two cochlear implants, and she's finishing her master's degree. But again, Russ, you know, with his perseverance, gave us strength to go, we can get through this, and we're not going to let this define our daughter. And she needs to realize that, you know, you can do something if you stick your mind to it and work hard. That's really great to hear. How old is she now? Uh, Mary is 22 years old, and she's finishing her master's degree at St. Bonaventure University. Oh, good for you. Wow. That's that's an an amazing story. It's remarkable. Thank you. Well, Russ was a big part of it, and one of the other things that he said, if I have one more second, is I remember the day he came on the radio, and he said to be the best you can be at what you are. So if you're a homemaker, be the best homemaker. If you're a plumber, be the best plumber you can be. If you're a janitor, be the best. And I, honestly, that stuck with me. And every time I felt tired or didn't feel like we could go on, I thought of those words, and it really stuck and helped my husband and I to persevere. That is exactly right. He always wanted people to find their passions and pursue what was right for them. And in, in your case, this is a, a beautiful place. We'll definitely put it up on, on the website so people yeah. can see the pictures that I'm looking at. But it's called Oak Knolls Manor, LLC. And that's uh, Julie Welch. Julie, thank you so much for coming by and uh, being a part of this today. Uh, and, and best of luck on, as, as, we, uh, as we work through our finalists. Thank you for coming by. Excellent. Thank you so much, Catherine. And uh, we all love you and we love Russ. Thank you so much, Julie. God bless. Take care, Julie. Uh, Catherine, we have a third we have a third uh, and, and final uh, uh, finalist here. Uh, I, I think, to be fair, we're going to get a break in here and then come back and visit with Patty Klein, who Perfect. is is with Sittler Golf. Uh, something that's very passionate. Rush was very passionate about golf, no doubt. And uh, we'll, we'll visit with Patty Klein coming up here next. Uh, I am Brett Woodable alongside uh, Catherine Limbaugh as we are uh, celebrating the best in, uh, in, in, in the Great American uh, Business Award. We'll be back right after this. And I am Brett Woodable, your guide host today on the Rush Limbaugh Show. Happy to be joined by Catherine Limbaugh as we go through the finalists for the Great American Business Award. Uh, the uh, third finalist that we have, Catherine, it's so wonderful to be with you today. Um, is Patty is Patty Klein from Sittler Golf, and how about this for a uh, for for a beginning line? Patty was first introduced to Rush while a young twenty seven year old from New Jersey, working for the New Jersey Commission for the Blind, driving a state vehicle that only had AM radio in the car. Patty Klein, welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Catherine. It's such an honor to speak with you. Rush was such an inspiration for my husband and I through this journey. Oh, wonderful. It's nice to speak to you as well. Tell us, if you could, in a, in a few minutes about how you started your, your company. You know that Rush absolutely loves golf and loved golf. I know. When it, when I first heard that he started playing and then his passion for it, oh, it was just amazing for us. We were like, yes, he's into golf. This is amazing. Um, but the 
it's funny. My husband and I met at Kutztown University and moved away. And about 10 years later, he met um, the owner of our property in Kutztown before he moved to a bigger property. Um, and he came home one day. We had two little boys, and we were doing very well. He was director of golf for Marriott. And he came home to me, and he said, you know what? Do you remember that driving range in Kutztown? I think I want to buy it. <laughs> and I was like, um, yeah, I don't remember it, but uh, we'll take a look at it. And so we thought we're 29, we're young, and we you know, have time to take a risk. And it turned out to be a wonderful um, experience for us, and we're in a great place and a successful business, and we owe a lot of it to Russia's words of wisdom. Um, the biggest one for me was burning the midnight oil. <laughs> That's right. Um, it's, every time I heard that, I was like, okay, we're not alone in this. There's other people staying up till midnight um, and, above, and beyond. Exactly. Um, so. And when you want to give up, don't, because you hear Rush in your ear saying, don't give up. That's exactly right. <laughs> oh, there were so many times and we'd wake up the next morning and be like, nope, you know what? We need to, we need to move on. And, um, and it was just nice to hear, yes, you can do it. Um, you know, if you persevere, if you um, have patience um, and faith is a big thing for us. And all of those and above uh, really helped us to get through all the highs and lows. So I see in your in your nomination here that you were nominated by Golf Digest as the best hundred mm. club fitters. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great! And that, so, yeah, and that really was the um, what launched us to the next level. Um, so we had a property in Kutztown, which was fourteen acres, and in 2011 we were named one of Golf, Golf Digest's Best 100 Fitters. It was their inaugural um, award, and we've um, earned it each year since. And that um, helped us to purchase our new property, wow. um, which is now 24 acres, and the building is three times the size of the building we had in Kutztown. And we are in the process of hiring um, a about five more new full-time year-round people, so we're really proud of that. And, um, yeah, just that really helped us take off. Good for you. And tell us the name again of your your company. It's Sittler Golf. That's great. In Sinking Spring, Pennsylvania. Sinking Spring, yeah. Mm -hmm. We used to be in Kutztown, and now it's Sinking Spring, Pennsylvania. Well, a, a remarkable story, uh, pursuing the passion, burning the midnight oil, Catherine. That's, as, as she said, that's yeah. just such a huge, huge part of this. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Patty and, and Rick Klein, we appreciate you uh, joining us here and wish you uh, uh, good luck and uh, all the best uh, in this pursuit. And we, we, we all know how much Rush loved golf and uh, it was just a, a passion. And it's a passion for millions of people. Thank you for joining us today. and Good luck. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Patty. Catherine, look, we have three beautiful stories. I mean, these are just absolutely uh, remarkable stories. We have Zimmerman Meats out of uh, Summersville, Missouri. We we have Julie Welch's Oak Knolls Manor, LLC. And, of course, uh, Patty and Rick Klein, 
Sittler Golf out of Pennsylvania. Uh, remarkable stories all. Yes, and like I said, we receive thousands of nominations, and we've gone through a lot of them, and every story is as remarkable, to be completely honest. And it, it's sure. very difficult to choose, but I know that's what we what we have to do. Yeah. So we we have picked a winner for, mm-hmm. for this week, which will be the second Rush Limbaugh Great American Business Award, and that recipient will be receiving, one, the award, but also $25,000 grants. And I just wanted to briefly explain that again, that Rush set aside a fund specifically for this award. So there are going to be additional recipients, and each will receive $25,000 from Rush that he set aside uh, early in the year. Fantastic. Uh, that that is that is remarkable, and it's really demonstrating the commitment he had to that to that super huge important endeavor, that being the the uh, the great American business out here. So, uh, do we have a winner? Yes, we do. So today, for the second Rush Limbaugh Great American Business Award recipient, it will be John and Lindsay Cartwright of Zimmerman Meats, who we spoke to first today. Mm-hmm. A compelling story of family business, and it is proof, uh, uh, Catherine, that your dreams can come true if you just are willing to pursue them and and put in the hard work. That's absolutely right. Congratulations, John and and Lindsay. And thank you, Lindsay, for nominating your husband and telling us your story. And I'm sure it's inspired a lot of others listening. And and thank you so much for uh, allowing me to participate with you today, Catherine, on this very special endeavor. Uh, It's it's the highlight of, of my week and month to get to spend time with you making these dreams come true for these hardworking businessmen and women. Well, thank you very much, Brett. It's a pleasure to be here. Likewise. I appreciate you. Have a wonderful weekend. I look forward to getting back together with you again soon. Thank you. You all as well. Have a great weekend. You, you as well, Catherine. Catherine Limbaugh, ladies and gentlemen. Plenty more straight ahead. So happy to see these dreams getting, getting to come true. I'm Brett Witterbull on the EIB Network. I am Brett Witterbull. It is the EIB Network. Don't forget to go to RushLimbaugh.com and watch that tribute video. Thanks again to Catherine Limbaugh for spending this time with us today on the show. Hour two straight ahead. I'm Brett Witterbull. It is the EIB Network. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833 833- 995-G-O-L-D. The number one fantasy sports app in America is Prize Picks. It's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Five million members already active on Prize Picks. If you've not yet downloaded Prize Picks, do it today. 
Unlike other apps on prize picks, it's just you against the number. It's about the players and not the teams. You look for the sports you know best and that you follow the most. Then you make a single decision on each player projection, more or less. Every time you play, you pick two to six players and make that one decision. You can win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four picks. More player action on prize picks now than ever, and it's the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states now. Prize picks also gives you injury insurance so your picks stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Download the free Prize Picks app and open your account. Use my name Clay for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Download the Prize Picks app. Use promo code Clay, that's C L A Y, to get set up and get a deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes and their families since 9-11. These are our first responders and service members who serve our communities and our country or those who die in the line of duty or are severely injured, and our veterans who fought for our nation's freedoms only to return home, fall on tough times, and become homeless. Heroes like Buffalo firefighter Jason Arno and his family. Arno was killed while protecting his community, battling a warehouse fire. He left behind his wife and a young daughter. In their darkest hour, Tunnel the Towers provided Arno's wife and daughter with a mortgage-free home, The foundation lifted a financial burden, enabling them to stay in the home where they made memories with their hero. Join Tunnel the Towers on its mission to do good. Support the families of America's greatest heroes, the families of fallen first responders like Jason Arno, plus Gold Star families with young kids, severely injured service members, and homeless veterans. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. It's incredible to see this explosion of violence that is uh, sweeping across the country and specifically in America's cities, really from coast to coast, from from New York City all the way out to Los Angeles and in Chicago and in Minneapolis. We see it heartbreakingly overnight in Indianapolis, uh, what appears to be a some sort of a random series of shootings at the FedEx facility near the Indianapolis airport. Uh, as a gunman is still they're still trying to identify who the gunman was what the motivation was it appears it was random what does all this add up to you see you see murders taking place at a 187% increase out in Los Angeles you see mayhem and crime at, at every turn in Bill de Blasio and Andrew Cuomo's New York and in Chicago the heartbreaking story of a 13 year old boy who was accompanying a felon in possession of a firearm, a 21-year-old man, uh, on the streets of Chicago at 2.30 in the morning, uh, only to lose his life at the hands of a, of a police officer in a pursuit when this young man th- threw the gun, it was visible, the officer shot and took a life of, of a child. What does this all come from? Where does this all come from? This is not random. This is a breakdown in in a respect for law and order. And I don't necessarily mean a respect for law enforcement, but that's a huge component of this. But just the notion that the law should apply to everybody. You don't have the right to take a firearm in some place and and shoot up a a, a facility at FedEx. You don't have a right as a 13-year-old to be running the streets of Chicago at 2.30 in the morning with uh, somebody who is a felon in possession of a gun. You, you don't have a right 
to conduct murder on the streets of Los Angeles or attempted murder. Remember Lady Gaga's dog walker. This is this is a combination of some of the worst in society coming together. And what that is, is the coarsening of the culture has been been present for 100 years. The idea that human life becomes cheapened year after year. But it's about the fraying edges of respect for law and order and in exchange trading it for uh, going soft on criminals and encouraging, in some cases, as some politicians are, encouraging disorder on the streets and in our communities. The sad reality is America America is, is in a place right now ravaged by the pandemic lockdowns, desperation setting in, a government subsidizing uh, workers not to work. Businesses can't find qualified workers. I mean, it is it is a toxic soup, the likes of which we haven't seen since the malaise of the, the, the 1970s and the late days of the 1960s. Chaos seems to rule the day. You, you know, Lori Lightfoot sat on this video for a number of days of Adam Toledo's uh, fatal shooting by a police officer in Chicago. And it, it's not lost on me that that this person, Lori Lightfoot, who is the mayor of Chicago and has absolutely no control on the streets of Chicago, has hamstrung the police, uh, has has used uh, organizations like the ACLU to uh, make policing more difficult, continues to blame neighboring states like Indiana for for allowing all the guns to pour into Chicago. The guns are pouring into Chicago because criminals are getting guns in Chicago, by and large. What what do people expect is going to happen when you surrender your great American cities to mayhem? What do they think is going to happen? Defund defund the police, abolish the police in another world. That's called appeasement. It's literally appeasement. It's saying if we give in to those who want to bring about chaos and destruction on the streets of our of our cities. That will make them like us more. It will not. The old notion of you know, j- just keep throwing somebody out of the boat to the, feed the alligators. Well, eventually you're going to run out of people to throw out of the boat to appease the alligators and the alligators are going to come after you. The alligators are coming after all of us. And it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter if you're in a city or if you're in a suburb. America's become an increasingly desperate place as people are denied employment, as people are forced into lockdowns or children are denied education in schools in California and on the West Coast. That that desperation fuels a decay in societal norms that are almost impossible to get back. How crazy is this? Bernie Sanders has broken with the squad on defunding the police. The squad wants to defund the police. AOC wants to defund the police. Rashida Tlaib wants to defund the police. Ilan Omar wants to defund the police. Bernie Sanders is breaking with the squad on that one. I mean, he is the king progressive of them all in the Senate. Broke with his left-wing protégés over their calls to defund the police in the wake of the killing of Dante Wright. Speaking to CNN on Wednesday, Sanders said he did not agree with Rashida Tlaib over her call for no more policing, incarceration, and militarization. He said, I don't agree with that. 
I think what needs what we need to do is to understand that there needs to be a major, major police reform across the country. We're tired of seeing the same thing week after week, year after year. We do not want to see innocent African-Americans shot in cold blood. Well, that is happening in Chicago on any given Saturday night now. And defunding the police will not make them safer. Will not make anybody safer. It'll only make the criminals more bold in the way that opening the border will make human traffickers and smugglers and modern-day slavers more bold to do that. Rush understood what was going on against the backdrop of these riots. He said these riots are an offshoot of the Democrat Party. This is the police chief, Cassandra Deck Brown, that's hyphenated, Deck Brown, speaking about violence and looting in the city. A building, a window, a door, the property within it can easily be replaced. But for a person who's had officers shot, and more recently than not, I will not put an officer in harm's way to protect the property inside of a building. Well, excuse me, but isn't that what the cops do? She said a building, a window, a door, the property in it can easily be replaced. I'm not going to worry about it, but for a person who's had officers shot more recently than not, I will not put an officer in harm's way to protect the property inside a building. Guess what that is an invitation to? That's what the police are for. This is the same thing that Democrats were were saying to enforce the lockdown. It was worth shutting down the economy if it only saved one life. I'm not going. I'm not. I'm not going to deploy one cop if the purpose is to save stuff inside a building. You know, let your insurance company get hold of that. Find out what happens to your insurance rates if that becomes city policy. But, you know, this is not the only odd thing coming out of North Carolina. Earlier today, the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services secretary was asked a question. She was worried about seeing COVID-19 spreading because of all the protesters out there in large groups. And the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services secretary said no. No, these people have a right to have their voices heard. And most of them are wearing masks. So, if I understand this, it's okay for people to protest in large groups. But for months, we were told by this same kind of person, Health and Human Services secretaries, we were told that it was too dangerous for small businesses and restaurants and churches to open up due to the high risk. No, 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 no. You can't open your church. No, 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 no. You cannot open your restaurant. No, 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 no. You cannot open your business. Too risky. Too dangerous. You could inadvertently or purposely end up spreading a second wave of the virus. But now she's not worried about COVID-19 spreading because of protesters. Because those people have a right to have their voices heard. They have, the protesters have a right to be heard. You don't have a right to open your church. You don't have a right to open your business. You don't have a right to open your restaurant. Stop and think about that. Isn't it incredible to consider how efficient government has been? Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. Uh, Andrew Cuomo in New York. Bill de Blasio in New York. How efficient government is when it comes to sending in the SWAT team to shut your business down. We've seen a... What is it, Tin Horn Flats out in Burbank, 
Uh, they, they've had they've had a wire wrapped around their building and blockages to their driveways because they were trying to sell food to people. If if only if only if only these communities could rely on the health enforcers who come in and shut businesses down to go in and handle the riots, we might actually have a result. Can you imagine? I mean, my gosh, Gretchen Whitmer was able to deploy all kinds of uh, uh, health code officials and judges to go and shut down businesses in Michigan. And we've seen it in New York. Uh, We've seen it in California. And we've seen it in a lot of these places. What we need to do, if you want to stop the riots on the streets and restore order, is just declare not a public riot. Declare a health code violation. Declare a maximum occupancy violation. They'll send in those health inspectors with their ticket books, and they'll they'll be shutting down riots left and right. Antifa will be running for the hills. I guarantee it, they will. It is Open Line Friday on the Rush Limbaugh Show. Our phone number to be a part of the conversation is 800-282-2882. Check out RushLimbaugh.com for all the latest and greatest information out there. I'm Brett Witterbull. Another great segment straight ahead on the EIB Network. Brett Witterbull, your guide host on the Rush Limbaugh Show and the EIB Network. In moments, we'll talk about court packing, but it is Open Line Friday and want to honor that promise. Let's check in with Vern in Iowa. Welcome to the program, Vern. Thank you, sir. Brett, you're doing a wonderful job for the famous Rush Limbaugh. Thank Thank you you for everything. Thank you for calling. What I wanted to comment on, you had just mentioned the breakdown of respect for law enforcement. Mm -hmm. You are 100% correct. But let's not forget about the breakdown of the family nucleus. For years, the government has been paying women to have babies and get paid more money. Where is both family members or both parents? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a huge problem in our country. It's 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 true. Look, the breakdown of the family is an enormously devastating reality. In fact, I heard uh, I think it was Ken yesterday playing a, a clip from Rush uh, on that on that very point. The fact that you're going to keep redefining and taking apart the family and eventually you end up with just absolute uh, chaos because the, the family is the first structure that teaches you structure. Right. You learn about uh, respect. You learn about uh, uh, people who. Uh, are, are going to uh, be be the people who protect you, but who also show you the rules of the road for life. W- w- what we have done in our culture is basically turned it into a self-raising uh, uh, society where children grow up and uh, end up being thrown out into the streets or or running in the streets or, or whatever it is. I don't mean to sound like a get off my lawn old oldie fogey, but the fact is children cannot raise themselves. And the idea that we've taken kids out of school for the last year is going to be devastating. My wife is a teacher. I love my wife. I love what teachers do. I don't love teachers' unions, but my wife is a teacher, and she has said to me repeatedly, this damage for the year that these kids have been out of school, it's going to take them forever to come back. It's going to take them forever to get those skill sets back, the discipline to sit in the classroom back. And that's, that's sort of the point, Vernon, and I appreciate the call on your kind words, because what is the purpose of this exercise that's happening with this court-packing conversation? It's about redefining society, right? We can redefine the court. We can redefine the family. We can redefine. Heck, did you hear yesterday Nadler and and Jones and Hank Johnson and and Ed Markey saying that the the, the Roberts court is this right wing machine? Are you kidding me? He protected he, he protected Obamacare on the slimmest of margins and redefined marriage. Tell me again about this right wing court. 
Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, in looking at this uh, court packing situation, said this about the Supreme Court. Nine seems to be a good number, and it's been that way for a long time. I think that was a bad idea when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried to pack the court. It was a bad idea. In fact, his party was irate about that decision. Here's what Rush had to say about the Democrats redefining the packing of the courts. Dick Turbin and a number of other Democrats are out saying that Joe Biden's not talking about packing the court. It's the Republicans packing the court. You know what they say, packing the court? Packing the court is filling openings with your people. That's not what packing the court is. They're, tr- they're literally trying to make the case that Republicans ought to be appointing, like if if Ruth Buzzy Ginsburg was a Democrat, then Trump should nominate a Democrat. And if he doesn't, if he nominates a conservative like Amy Coney Barrett, then he's packing the court. That's not what packing the court is. They better not get away with this. That would require genuine ignorance, stupidity on the party of the American people. Packing the court means adding seats to it that don't exist. Supreme Court now has nine seats. Democrats want to add four. Making the Supreme Court a 13 justice body. That's packing the court. They're literally out trying to say the other. They're trying to make the case that packing the court is simply filling every opening with someone from your party. What's incredible about this, you know, 13 is, a, is, is an interesting number on a lot of different uh, levels. But, but the idea that you're going to come in, just think about this from a structural standpoint. Say, say they were able to get rid of the filibuster, which is the first step, right? They first have to get rid of the filibuster. Unlikely, but let's just follow the possibility here. First, they want to get rid of the filibuster. Then they proceed to expanding the court, right? They say we're going to add four justices. Think of the, of the circus that a traditional Supreme Court confirmation hearing looks like. I mean, the last one we saw with Amy Coney Barrett was unusual because of the pandemic. You didn't have the people standing up and screeching and screaming and throwing fits during the hearings because you didn't have people in the hearing room. Think back to Brett Kavanaugh. Think back to Clarence Thomas. Think back to Bork, who was Borked. But you think about that under a conventional set of circumstances. Now imagine trying to load four justices up onto the court at the same time. Nancy Pelosi understands what a fool's errand this is. It's why when she was asked yesterday, she said directly, yeah, I'm over here trying to do infrastructure and stuff, and you guys are talking about this. She can't control Jerry Nadler. She can't control Jerry Nadler or Hank Johnson. She can't control the, 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 the newest member of the Congress there, uh, Mondaire Jones fr- from New York. She can't control any of this, and she's she's got to be going out of her mind realizing the monster she has created. As somebody much smarter than I uh, noted earlier today, consider what would happen if you had a Democrat senator suddenly pass away. As a hypothetical, uh, and I don't wish anybody any ill, but imagine you had a Democrat senator pass away. It's 50-50 right now. Imagine if that happened and a Republican governor in that state appointed a Republican to the seat. You would now have Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. You know, Biden is facing a tremendous uphill fight here 
Um, and he's got these people running around talking about court packing. You want to have 13 justices? That means you get four confirmations happening. And by getting rid of the filibuster, guess what you've set up for the future? Four more justices from the Republicans. And it just escalates, and it becomes, as many smart scholars have said, it just becomes a proliferated situation where you've got the... Uh, You've got a mess on your hands. Thirteen Supreme Court justices. Thirteen's an interesting number. You know what you need thirteen for? A coven of witches. Usually a coven of witches is thirteen. But this is just absolutely absurd to think that because you have an election and you've got a tied Senate with a tiebreaker in the vice president, you're going to go make a run for thirteen Supreme Court justices? Please. And still the border is suffering and still our enemies are scheming and the Democrats so out of touch are trying to change the subject. EIB Network. Wonderful to be here today on this uh, beautiful day on the Rush Limbaugh show. Uh, drive-by caller uh, calling me out on my coven reference. Says uh, says 13's not the number, it's five. No, no, no. A union coven is 13. I, I, I checked the book. A union coven is 13. But... Here's here's the thing about uh, uh, court packing to get back to the original issue. The idea of court packing is is about uh, trying to assume control over uh, another branch of government by essentially the, the 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 executive branch. This is what Joe Biden would be trying to do. It would be accomplished by the legislative body uh, doing this, but it would be handed over to the president because from here on out, if you get rid of that filibuster, the president can direct his party in the Senate to continue to expand the court until it just becomes a yet another super legislature, which is a big mistake. It's a huge mistake. This this is the great failing, by the way, of what you had during the FDR years. It was only uh, during Franklin Roosevelt that in, in terms of the culture, the, the broader American culture, that somehow the Supreme Court became elevated to the most important branch. Like, what's the most important branch of government? Seriously, what, what, do you, what do you think the most important branch of government is? Well, some people would say the presidency. So, some people would say the, uh, the legislative branch. And others would say the Supreme Court. You know, the Supreme Court makes a decision. You write a bill, the Supreme Court decides whether or not that's a legitimate bill. And, 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 and it's a law that should be followed. And they, they get to strike it down. Oh, sure, sure they do. I mean, but there's remedies back the other way. In fact, you know, Mark Levin's written books about this kind of stuff. But, but the, the reality is when you look at this situation that we're talking about here, Really? Which which branch is mentioned first in the uh, in the Constitution? That should answer your question. But we've been conditioned to think the Supreme Court's the final word on everything. Really, what the Supreme Court existed to be was essentially a referee between the states or a referee between the, the, the executive and the legislative branch. But instead, you know, the, the great worshipers of the court of the of the unelected black robists. They, they are they are the people who tell you the Supreme Court's the most important branch. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. Rush talked about the, the filling of, of vacancies, and, and he really did a great job clarifying um, the, the notion that when Donald Trump was appointing people uh, to to, uh, to the court, um, it was not packing the court. It's further clarification on this point. Go. I again ran across a story this morning about how Biden is blaming Trump for packing the court. Biden's actually saying it on the campaign trail. He's even putting it in ads that Trump is packing the court. 
Trump is not packing the court, but remember who we're dealing with. We're dealing with mind-numbed robots that are also Democrat voters who have a predisposition to hating Donald Trump. So if they hear that, that first they hear packing the court, packing the court, packing the court, bad, bad, bad. Packing the court, not good. Packing the court, bad, bad. Then they hear Trump's doing it. Trump is not packing the court. Trump is filling vacancies on the court. Look, for all of you who are listening to this program, this is a key point. It's a very simple point. This is a very simple way that you can make a difference beyond voting by being armed with this. Donald Trump is not packing the court. He is filling vacancies on the court brought about by the retirements or deaths of sitting justices. When Trump finishes, there will be nine justices on the court, just as they were, just as there were before uh, Democrat justices began to either retire or pass away. Packing the court is what Biden is going to do, and he won't admit to it. Packing the court is adding seats to the court from your own party. Packing the court is putting politically sympathetic judges on the court. And after you have succeeded, if you do, in packing the court, then you're going to have 13 seats, 13 justices, not nine. That's what Biden wants to do. It's not what Trump is doing. Look, this is why court packing, why Biden's trying to make such a big deal how Trump is doing. Court packing is so big of an issue because this is when the Democrats get control, if they win this election— they're going to pack the Supreme Court with 13 seats. They're going to add four. They'll do away with all of the limits on the government that are in the Constitution. That's what a 13-seat court will do. They'll wipe out the Second Amendment. They'll wipe out the free speech clause of the First Amendment. This is their plan. This is not speculation. Let's go out on the phones and, and talk to... Dylan, who's right in line with what you just heard from Rush. Uh, Dylan from Buffalo Gap, South Dakota. Welcome to the program, sir. Hey, thanks, Brett. Uh, man, Megan Diddles, it's uh, great to be on here. Thank you, sir. Uh, I'll get to it. Um, I always think about Rush Limbaugh's uh, mental exercise with the minimum wage. Uh, you know, a 15 is good. Why not 25? Why not 50? <laughs> right. And uh, it's funny, in my mind, it probably could be applied here. You know, I mean, if they... It, why not two, you know, but the opposite direction, why not eight? Why not 12? Why not really, I mean, go with it. I mean, and I think that, I mean, obviously I think there's an answer, you know, they can't, could never pass eight, but you know, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to go, why not swing to the fences? Sure. Okay. So, so let me ask you one question because it'll help me get, get to the answer for you. Ready? If you were to describe America today, if you were to describe America today, uh, you know, 60-40, 50-50, 40-60, whatever you want. In terms of the division in politics, what would you say the division in America is today? Oh, uh, gosh, it's got to be knocking on the door 50-50. Pretty, okay, you know. it's, a good, it's a fair point, right? Right. I mean, we, we could even maybe say, Dylan, it's 50-50. Maybe, maybe we'll say it's 52-48, say, Democrat, right? Because you've got all these big cities. 
Okay, so so we could like because remember they want to get rid of the electoral college, which is a whole other conversation. But but the reason why they're saying four, not two, is you, you nailed it. They're trying to appear reasonable. Here's what they're saying: they're saying we have a court right now that is six three, right? You got nine justices, six are quote conservatives, three are Democrats or or liberal justices. Okay, so what they're saying is all we want to do is add. four four to the three so it becomes a seven six court which is really what america is we're we're seven six or we're we're 55 45 democrat everybody knows we're more democrat than republican as a country that's that's their thinking so they're trying they think that four is a reasonable argument because the court then goes seven six (laughs) yeah i yeah, I think you're exactly right. I, I, uh, I mean, I agree with you 100. Um, percent Yeah, I it's think crazy. That, you know, they got to get something they can pass. They do, they do. So they're going to try to come off as reasonable in that regard. Dylan, a great call. Have a wonderful weekend, and call back again. You're, you're, you're a spot on caller, and that's that's what this comes down to. That's what this comes down to because you're going to have these activists go out, and if you listened to the activists yesterday pressing this case. Um, you didn't really have like the screaming and the yelling. Remember when when we saw Chuck Schumer yelling on the steps of the Supreme Court about you listen to me, Gorsuch and uh, Kavanaugh, you, you're going to reap the whirlwind. And then they got he got kind of in trouble. Remember, John Roberts wrote a letter saying, basically, don't threaten the justices of the Supreme Court, Chuck. What's wrong with you on this abortion issue? So they know that that doesn't sell. What sells is ugh, it's so unfair because. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they were already counting the votes. And Donald Trump stole Amy Coney Barrett. And everybody knows that Brett Kavanaugh was, you know what Brett Kavanaugh was. I mean, my gosh, do we have to go down that list again? And that's that's how they're selling it. They're trying to be really reasonable, in air quotes. But they're, they're not being reasonable. They're being incredibly unreasonable. Because they think they can go out there and scoop up four justices. They can't even secure the Capitol they can't even like it's still covered in razor wire. How how are you going to have hearings? We're barely getting to a speech from Joe Biden as president to a joint session of Congress. How, how do they think they're going to pull this off? It's it sounds crazy today, but in five years, as they build momentum behind it, it'll seem increasingly reasonable. And that's how they're going to ultimately end up selling this story. We'll take your phone calls straight ahead, 800-282-2882. It is Open Line Friday. I am Brett Witterbull, your guide on the EIB Network. So right alongside law and order, right alongside the notions of court packing and changing the rules of the game, we have what is likely the great crisis of our time, and it is a fully open, insecure border uh, along the uh, the frontier with Mexico as it, human traffickers and smugglers uh, cartels are in an ascendant time in our in our country, able to uh, fully exploit what it is that's going on uh, down at the border. Kamala Harris uh, apparently um, just doesn't see this as a uh, uh, as as a as a priority mission. This is not like a top five issue for her. Uh, she she's more concerned with well s- selling the infrastructure deal, which actually is kind of curious. It's actually kind of curious, but uh, l- let's let's check this little piece of audio out. Kamala Harris doesn't care about kids suffering in border facilities. These are issues that are not going to be addressed overnight in terms of the root causes issue. 
Um, a large part of our focus is diplomatic in terms of what we can do. We have plans in the work to go to Guatemala um, as soon as possible, um, given all of the restrictions in terms of COVID and things of that nature. We must address the symptoms, and, and that is what is happening with the team of folks who are working on the border, led by Ali Mayorkas. But we also have to deal with the root causes. Otherwise, we are just in a perpetual system of only dealing with the symptoms. Vice President Harris knows what the root causes are of the migration coming up through the border. Well, she knew back in 2018. Remember what it was in 2018? People were fleeing persecution. People are afraid of being persecuted and that there's violence and there's danger uh, down in the Triangle countries in El Salvador and Guatemala and, uh, of course, Nicaragua. It's dangerous. Honduras is dangerous. The people are coming up because it's dangerous. It's there's persecution and all that sort of stuff. You ever notice that people aren't emigrating in mass from Belize? Why, why not from Belize? It's right there next to Mexico and adjacent to Guatemala. Well, nobody's coming up from Belize. Somebody should look into that. But the root cause is money. The root cause is money. The root cause is well, money. And we know that's the root cause because people are coming up here making that dangerous trek because they know, A, the border is open, and B, once you get across the border, you're home scot-free. And you can get a job and work under the table. And if you live in New York or California or any other number of these jurisdictions, guess what you get? You get the hookup. You're going to get COVID money. $15,000 in New York State going to the, going to the folks who, who, who are in the, the state illegally, in the United States illegally, living in New York State. Homeless vets can't get that money. But people who... Uh, made as their first order of business breaking into the country. They get that money. I understand this, but this is a dodge by Vice President Harris. Well, we're going to have to look at the root causes, and I am planning on going to Guatemala. Well, the Biden administration and Alejandro Mayorkas, they've been working a whole other angle. Roberta Jacobson, who's now suddenly disappeared, she used to be on TV constantly. She was the border czar. Roberta Jacobson says, we're going to pay these Central American governments $15,000 per head to keep these folks at home. That really, that's that's one of the proposals. You understand what President Biden and Vice President Harris are doing. They're essentially offering the Central American countries the Iranian nuclear deal. We're going to pay you a stack of cash. Don't proliferate migrants up to the United States border. And if you do, we'll send you more cash. I mean, at least when you're going to get when you're going to get shaken down, when you're going to get extorted, you got to wait for the actual extortion offer to happen. You don't or the threat to happen. You, you don't just voluntarily say, I'll pay you money if you can control your borders. Thanks. This is what's so frustrating. That's why governors are getting involved. Greg is in Hurley, South Dakota. Greg, you want to talk about Christy Nome? Welcome to the program. Hello, Greg. Greg going once. Greg going twice. Greg wanted to say that Christy Nome said South Dakota won't take any uh, of, of the uh, illegal migrant kids or, or, the, or the children, the, the, the children that are refugees. You're seeing this form across the, uh, across the spectrum in the uh, country. You're seeing this with a number of governors, by the way. Henry McMaster in South Carolina went to the South Carolina uh, foster homes and said, if you are taking in refugee children ahead of American children, we, we are going to punish you. We're going to pull your licensure. Isn't it interesting? Back during the, the, evil, the evil Trump days, right? You had Gavin Newsom and Gretchen Whitmer and J.B. Pritzker and Phil Murphy in Jersey and, and Andrew Cuomo. And remember what they called? They were the resistance. They were the resistance. 
I guess Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are discovering the counter resistance, the groups of governors who don't want to play ball in this way. Not in a pandemic, they don't. Joe is in Modesto, California, wants to uh, talk about the law and order issue. Uh, Joe, welcome to the Rush Limbaugh Show. Hi, um, thank you for taking over for Rush. Keep up the strong words. Well, I'm in, I'm in as your tour guide today, so thank you very much for your kind words. And what's on your mind today, sir? Well, my sister is an ex-sheriff out of Flint, Michigan. She's yep. retired. And she used to tell me things like there is a total blackout amongst the police officers talking about the fact that there are more fully automatic weapons being imported from Mexico into America to criminals only. They don't sell them to regular people because regular people buy lookalike AR-15 that shoot, pull the trigger one time type weapons. Mm-hmm. And they have a total blackout on anything. No news will ever talk about somebody died with 27 bullet holes in them that came from an automatic weapon. But they don't talk about that. Well, here's here's the problem, and I appreciate your call, and I honor your sister's service as a retired police officer. Here's the challenge, and, I, and I'll just I'll give it to you straight and quickly. Remember, it was the Obama-Biden administration that, under Eric Holder, sent 3,000 guns to the cartels in Mexico, specifically the Sinaloa cartel in Mexico, Operation Fast and Furious, in an effort to try to jack up American gun stores. And it was the Obama-Biden administration that sent those guns into the border that led to the to the murder of an American border agent in Arizona at the hands of one of the cartel gunmen. And uh, I, I got to say, it is one of the most heartbreaking stories of the last decade that that went unpunished. I'm not surprised that criminals are getting their hands on illegal firearms. It's because they're criminals and we're not enforcing the laws. Brett Witterbull in on the EIB now. Are you missing Rush when the show ends each day? Rush is there for you any time of the day or night, 24-7. Find what Rush said on any topic. Listen to entire shows or watch them on the Ditto Cam through the vast audio and video archives. Available exclusively for Rush 24-7 members using the easy search function on the site. Join at RushLimbaugh.com. Choose a monthly subscription or lock in a full year. Rush is always there for you at Rush 24-7. RushLimbaugh.com. It is uh, great to be here on this Open Line Friday. Plenty of room for your calls, 800-282-2882. Coming up in the beginning of this next hour, Nebraska, a sanctuary state? I'll have details on the EIB Network. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. 
Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden. For severely injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, enabling severely injured heroes to move around their homes more independently. Through the Foundation's Homeless Veteran Program, Tunnel to Towers is providing housing and services to homeless veterans. More than 3,300 were helped last year alone. Because all veterans who honorably served, whether in peacetime or war, deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries. Well, not so fast. Remember, your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance. That can be a lot of money for your family. But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claim for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. It is wonderful to be here on this open line Friday on the Rush Limbaugh Show. I am your tour guide today. And I want to invite you to be a part of the conversation at 800-282-2882. And of course, uh, always check out RushLimbaugh.com for all the latest and best information This piece of information I find to be particularly fascinating. On Wednesday, Governor Pete Ricketts, he is a Republican from Nebraska, declared Nebraska a Second Amendment sanctuary state. Oh, boy. The state-level action comes after passage of Second Amendment sanctuary status in a number of Nebraska counties. This according to uh, uh, WOWT. They highlighted the proclamation's warning, quote, the White House and U.S. Congress have announced their intention to pursue measures that would infringe on the right to keep and bear arms. As a result, Nebraska will stand up against federal overreach and attempts to regulate gun ownership and use in the good life. Ricketts, in fact, uh, posted a uh, a video uh, to this effect uh, speaking about this. Uh, this is a, uh, a an issue that is sweeping the nation. Uh, back on April 7th, Breitbart reported that Governor Doug Ducey of Arizona signed legislation prohibiting the in-state enforcement of federal gun control laws that infringe on the Second Amendment. 
what we're starting to see here is a real groundswell of activism at the state level. Think about the fight you've just watched play out uh, re- regarding uh, the, the Georgia election bill, right? That, that we've been told, what, 50,000, 60,000 times that it's the return of Jim Crow. Uh, you saw activism at state legislatures uh, just in these last weeks, 100 days in, essentially, uh, to the Biden administration. That is absolutely groundbreaking. We mentioned Christy Nome last hour. The, the the governor of South Dakota saying, uh, essentially, uh, we're, we're not going to be taking these migrant children into our facilities. McMaster in South Carolina saying the same sort of thing, warning foster homes that they will lose certification if they uh, bring in migrant children over American children that require foster care. You've seen Georgia. You've seen in Pennsylvania even. They've purged the, the, the ballot rolls of those 150-year-old voters that were registered in the last presidential election. You're starting to see a real groundswell of activism uh, taking place. But let's not go too far afield here. I think it's tremendous to see this amount of activism, especially in the state legislatures. Because you want to talk about the, the grouping of legislators that are closest to the people in this country. It's your state legislators. Uh, that that is that is getting downright granular, which is outstanding to see their desire to protect the franchise of the Bill of Rights on the state level. But let's not forget this: it's not always a uh, big winning time. Uh, Rush talked about Andrew the Pious, Andrew Cuomo, on guns. Let's go to the Andrew Cuomo sound bites. Andrew the uh, the governor, Mario the Pious. The governor of New York, state of the state speech yesterday in uh, in Albany, and we got three sound bites, and this was like a Fidel Castro speech. I mean, it just went on and on and on, and he was speaking when this show was on yesterday, but he didn't get any of the good stuff until after this show ended. We have three examples. We respect hunters and sportsmen. This is not taking away people's guns. I own a gun. I own a Remington shotgun. I've hunted. I've shot. That's not what this is about. It is about ending the unnecessary risk of high-capacity assault rifles. That's what this is about. Oh, oh, okay. That's what it's about. Ending the unnecessary risk of high-capacity assault rifles. That's not what was used at Sandy Hook, though, was it? The Bushmaster is not a high-capacity assault rifle. That's a single shot, isn't it? I I could be mistaken. I'll have to double-check. But anyway, it's not. See, it's not about taking away your guns. It's it's. He loves hunters. He loves sportsmen. He owns a gun. He's got a Remington shotgun. He's hunted. He's shot. That's not what this is about. It's about ending the unnecessary risk of high-capacity assault rifles. I know that the issue of gun control is hard. I know it's political. I know it's controversial. But we are proposing today common-sense measures. And I say to you, forget the extremists. It's simple. No one hunts with an assault rifle. No one needs 10 bullets to kill a deer. And too many innocent people have died already. 
And the madness now. Holy smokes, it sounds like Hillary Clinton. Holy cow. No one needs ten bullets to kill a deer. That's amazing. These people actually want you to think that the Second Amendment is all about hunting, and they don't want to take you hunters' guns away from you. The Second Amendment's not about hunting. How many bullets are in the clips of Andrew Cuomo's security team, I wonder? Here's the next soundbite. Pass safe, reasonable gun control in the state of New York. Make this state safer. Save lives. Set them an example for the rest of the nation. Let them look at New York and say, this is what you can do. And this is what you should do. This is New York, the progressive capital. You show them how we lead. We can do it. We've done it before. We can do it again. That's a big flourish finale finish from Andrew the Pious. All about getting rid of... Ten bullets to kill a deer. All about getting rid of high-capacity assault rifles. We've done it before? Well, no, no. He didn't mean on guns. When he said, we've done it before, and we can do it again, he's talking about advancing liberalism. That's when he said, this is New York, the progressive capital. Progressive is in progressive is in liberalism. So, we'll show them how to lead. We can do it. We've done it before. On, you know, we've, we've advanced liberal, which he's, he's right about. They've done that. New York has shown the way. New York is also the city that, that featured in the overnight hours of, of uh, last night into this morning uh, a bust, an arrest of MS-13 members in Queens who were loading a body into the trunk of a car wrapped in a carpet. That's progressive. There's your progressivism right there. So progressive. In New York, we're so progressive, we've decided to put the criminals in charge of the state. Actual criminals. Not just crooks. And, and that's, that's the remarkable thing about all this. The party that gave you Andrew Cuomo saying you don't need 10 bullets to kill a deer is, is the same party that gave you Joe Biden two weeks ago when I was in as a tour guide and, and, and a show guide. And you had Joe Biden saying, you just go out on your balcony and start busting shots off. Just just start busting caps with a shotgun blast off your balcony at the vice president's mansion in Washington. Yeah, okay. What do Andrew Cuomo and Joe Biden have in common? Well, Andrew Cuomo is the governor of New York. Joe Biden was vice president and is now president. That means, that means Joe Biden's got protection for the rest of his life. He, he could own that shotgun, sure. I mean, I guess. Doesn't need it. Doesn't need it. He's going to be protected. And Andrew Cuomo's got round-the-clock security as the governor of the state of New York. So, so when you you listen to these arguments being made by these progressives, these liberals, I've I've never understood. In in all seriousness, I, I'm, a, I'm I own a firearm. I own firearms. Um, I I have learned the safe use of them. They are secured. They are. Uh, they are stored in the proper fashion, all of that sort of stuff, all of that sort of stuff. It seems to me when a Democrat comes out like Cuomo and talks about his bona fides as a gun owner. Right, he's trying to tell you, oh, I understand you gun people. I, I have a, I have a shotgun. Yeah, but gun people, 
if we've learned nothing during the pandemic, we, we, we've learned that the gun people are everybody now because a ton of guns got sold during the lockdowns. And those were not sold for hunting. A couple of them might have been. They were sold for security. It was a referendum on the safety and security of our communities around this country over the last year. We didn't think it was going to be a zombie apocalypse, but we watched with great interest the war on policing, the war on civic order, the the war on safe streets. And people said, you know what? I think it's about time we go out and get something that's going to protect our family. So it makes the gun grab scheme now even harder because you've got people of every ethnic background, people of every color, people of every gender, multiple genders, you name it. You, you've got people of every identity. This is no longer, you know, Hayseed and Hick going out and buying guns. And I, I, I say that with full respect of Hayseeds and Hicks. I, I, love, I love all people. But you understand what I'm saying. The, the, the people in D.C. think it's just a bunch of you people that are buying guns. It's we the people who are buying the firearms. Because it's a referendum on the failure of blue states and blue cities. We don't believe you can come and save us when it gets really bad. So we'll save ourselves. Thank you very much, Andy the Pious. 800-282-2882, the telephone number to be a part of the conversation. Up next, a rock and roller pushes back on the cancel culture. I'm Brett Witterbull, your guide on the Rush Limbaugh Last week, former Twisted Sister frontman Dee Snyder was on with Ashley Banfield on News Nation's Banfield. She said, I, I want to get your take a little bit on cancel culture these days. D was talking about way back when, when he testified on Capitol Hill in the 1980s for the PMRC, the Parents Music Resource Center. Here's what D. Snyder said. It's censorship and um, censorship has changed quite a bit. I mean, you go to when I was in Washington testifying, uh, by the way, it was a bipartisan uh, effort. It was Democrat and Republicans who were joined together in, you know, putting a leash on rock and roll. But it was definitely a conservative attitude. It was a more conservative attitude wanting to censor music. Now censorship still exists, but it's gone from the right more to the left. We're in this PC world where we have to be careful about what we say and who we offend. And, and it's a very odd thing. You know, it's it's really an incredible thing, because if you talk to any of the folks, I, I lived in Los Angeles for a long time. And I got to know musicians uh, there in the city. And when you speak to musicians, especially professional musicians who earn a living, um, the increase in taxation, the increase in regulation and the attack on Gibson guitars, by the way, uh, that the Obama administration ran for a couple of years, really flipped a lot of musicians uh, out of the mode of of being, you know, kind of Marxist left wing hippie types into being uh, defenders of the First Amendment. You have to remember, it's an important time in the 1980s. Al Gore's wife, Tipper Gore, ran the PMRC, the Parents Music Resource Center. Uh, I remember those days very well. I remember those hearings very well. In fact, when Dee Snyder testified, he, he, uh, he didn't bring in like a binder or, or a sheet of paper. He did the old trick from high school where he had folded up his remarks on a piece of notebook paper that was in his back pocket of his blue jeans. And he did the thing where he pulled it out and he unfolded it. And it took like, you know, 15, 30 seconds to unfold the paper to read the statement into the record. I mean, these guys understand what happens when, when the politically correct crowd comes in and tries to put you out of business. It's very serious. And as alternative and all that that these folks on the, on the left want to claim to be. 
they're not. They're they're not. They're not your friends. They're about control and they're about power. Look at big tech. You look at what big tech is doing out there with their influence, right? Once upon a time, oh, Silicon Valley, we're alternative. We're alternative. We're just a bunch of, you know, people trying to create power for the people with the Internet. Yeah, that's us. That's not the case. Facebook has been censoring like maniacs. Chelsea Clinton wants Tucker censored off of Facebook. Facebook removed the story of the New York Post publishing about the $3.2 million real estate spending spree of the BLM co-founder, Patrice Kahn Colors, uh, it's the third time the social media giant did this to the Post in the past year. They did it to, on the Hunter stuff, and now they've done it on on this information, saying, well, we don't want to talk about the fact that the, one of the leaders, one of the founders of the, the Black Lives Matter Global Network spent $3.2 million on real estate. Now, I don't know where she, she got the money. I'm not saying she, she got it in a... Uh, in an inappropriate way. She's got media deals with YouTube and development deals with with uh, with different websites. She could be a consultant on a number of projects. I don't count other people's money. I'm not sitting here counting another person's money. W- what I'm taking umbrage with is a discussion that has begun about her owning all this real estate, despite the fact that she has declared herself a Marxist. It, it's very consistent, by the way, with Marxism and communism, because we know that during the Soviet era, it was very popular to have, you know, your, your fancy apartment as part of the Communist Party in Moscow. And then you had dachas out there around the, the countryside where you would go to your to your summer, your summer getaway or your weekend getaway and laugh at the uh, proletariat who were suffering in toilet paper and pantyhose lines. So so this isn't about a particular group, Black Lives Matter. This is not about a particular person. It's actually about the censorship effort by big tech which is disturbing in the extreme. But they've got their own standard. And that standard is whatever they decide the standard is going to be that day. And that's what is so vitally important about that entire conversation. There is no set standard. It's a living, breathing standard. But like feeding a dragon, the dragon is going to get more aggressive the more you work to to try to appease it. There is no appeasing Twitter. There is no appeasing Google. There is no appeasing Uh, uh, Facebook, uh, any of these products, you cannot appease them. Cancel culture is it. That's what they're going for. They want to be the ultimate arbiters. It's the one thing that drives them craziest, by the way. Talk radio. Because they can't do it. They can't break us. Because we are talking directly to the people and the people are talking to us. The numbers have never been better. You know where the numbers have been great? The stock market's up again today to an all-time high. There's so much talk about investing and what to invest in and how much to invest in. That includes not just stocks, but real currency that you can hold in your hand. Gold and silver being two examples. For that matter, you can put those two kinds of precious metals into your retirement account. We're welcoming a new sponsor to the program, Oxford Gold Group, because they've passed our test of being reliable, honest, hardworking company. And those are the kinds of sponsors this program embraces. Oxford Gold Group is their name. I mentioned them at the beginning of the program today. They help you make your money work hard for you, just as you did to earn what's in your savings account. Put your savings and retirement accounts into something real like gold and silver. Real gold and silver you can actually have in your hands. Oxford Gold Group does that every day. And it starts when you call them at 833-404-GOLD. 
The Oxford Gold Group will teach you everything you need to know about owning real gold and silver, and it's a lot easier than you think. Call the Oxford Gold Group right now at 833-404-GOLD to get your free gold and silver investment guide. If you should ever decide you want to sell your gold or silver, the Oxford Gold Group will buy it back. And they don't charge you anything when you sell your gold and silver to Oxford. Their number, again, easy to remember, 833-404-GOLD, 833-404-GOLD. That's 833-404-G-O-L-D. Remarkable company, remarkable organization. They are, uh, they are very welcome here on the program, and I'm excited to be talking about them. When we come back, in a matter of moments, what I've got for you is dynamite stuff. And it's stuff you're not going to hear any place else. An explanation, a deep explanation of woke from a president. I heard a terrific phone call here on the program yesterday. I listen to the show every single day. And it is uh, wonderful to be here right now with you. I heard a great call from a from a woman who had called in, and I, I, her name escapes me at this point. But she was asking what wokeism was, right? She was saying, "What is this wokeism thing? What is woke? I don't know what that phrase means. It's new to me. What? How do we explain this?" Well, woke woke is everywhere in the culture right now, right? Uh, there are professors who are rejecting calls to resign after rebuking his woke university. Uh, there are uh, there, there are all new approaches towards woke and, and wokeness. Well, Rush broke this down beautifully with Barack and Michelle Obama on wokeness and whiteness. Obama has come out against wokeness. And Michelle Obama said, you know what? I don't think it's possible. I can't convince white people that black people are okay and nice. I just can't do it. I'd have to show up every day for 15 hours a day. I don't think I can do it. I cannot convince white people that black people are okay and not mean and bad. And Obama's come out and said, I don't care how woke you are. That's not activism. You know what I think Obama's doing? You haven't heard this? Well, I've got the soundbite. Look, I'm just setting a table. I've got the soundbite for all this coming up. Obama literally came out and ripped into wokeness, which is the modern expression of political correctness. And he said, you can be woke all day. You can have all your memes and all you want on social media, but that's not activism. I think, I think Obama's worried about what's happening to his daughters in college. And I think this is a long distance message from a father to his kids. You know, most kids rebel against parents at some stage, even if your dad is Barack Hussein, the one, even if your dad is the former president, people rebel. It's, 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 It's human nature. And I think he may be worried about the kind of stuff his daughters are encountering. Who wouldn't be if you're a responsible parent? Who wouldn't be? They're not just encountering liberalism, they're encountering encountering left-wing, anti-American radicalism everywhere. So Obama's statement criticizing wokeness, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know, I'm just wild guessing here, but I wouldn't be a bit surprised if it's a long-distance message, an attempt to reach his two daughters, to not fall for it. And don't let that define them or turn them into who they are. Michelle Obama says that white people are still running from blacks and immigrants. And she was in Chicago, the Obama Foundation Summit. And this is 
uh, what she said. I can't make people not afraid of black people. I don't know what's going on. I can't explain what's happening in your head. But maybe if I show up every day as a human, a good human, maybe, just maybe, that work will pick away at the scabs of your discrimination. We can't do it for them because they're broken. <laughs> their brokenness and how they see us is a reflection of their brokenness. And you can't fix that. Woman was first lady for eight years for crying out loud. She was visible every day. She was a nice person every day. She was compassionate. She was, uh, she showed up. She was a good human every day. And here she is at the Obama Foundation Summit. I can't make people not afraid of black people. I don't know what's going on. I can't explain what's happening in your head, but maybe if I should. Where does Michelle Obama live? says, white people are still running from blacks and immigrants. The Obamas have two primary residences. One of them is an $8 million house in Calorama, Washington, D.C. It's 83% white. Only 3.8% of the population of the Calorama area is black. So from whom is Michelle Obama running? If she moves into a 83% white neighborhood, where did she leave? Not supposed to ask this, folks. I realize it takes a brave and courageous soul like me to ask questions like this. But she claims that white people are still running from blacks and immigrants, and yet she moves into an 83% white neighborhood, which you have to ask, well, from where did she come? And the second home the Obamas have is in Martha's Vineyard. The black population of Martha's Vineyard, 3.3%. You know who lives in Martha's Vineyard? A bunch of uber-left-wing, Harvard, and academic deep-staters. And that's who the Obamas want to hang out with. 3.3% black population, Martha's Vineyard, 3.8% black population where they live in Washington. So who's running away from who? Uh, Who's running to who? Now, here's her husband, Barack Hussein. Oh, this is yesterday, Chicago, again, the Obama Foundation Summit. And this is what he said about wokeness and all that. You can there is this sense sometimes judge of yourself. the way of me making change is to be as judgmental as possible about other people. And that's enough. Like, if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right or used the word wrong verb or then... I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself because, man, you see how woke I was? That's not activism. That's not bringing about change. You know, if all you're doing is casting stones, you know, you're probably not going to get that far. Oh, my goodness. The Obamas are throwing cold water on everybody. The Obamas is a walking cold shower. You got all these leftists out there thinking they're doing the Lord's work. There isn't a Lord. Whose work are they doing? Nature's, I guess. They're being woke. They're doing political correctness. They're tweeting and they're saying all the right things. And here comes their idol telling them they ain't doing nothing. Like if I tweet, hashtag, about how you didn't do something right, use word, wrong verb. Well, I can sit back and feel pretty good. Hey, you ain't doing nothing. That's not activism. Oh, my goodness, folks. And I'm telling you, I think, I, I mean, a wild guess, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's trying to send a message to his two daughters. It's, look, it's a wild guess. 
but they are surrounded by that culture if they are at any university. I can absolutely uh, attest to the fact that as a a parent of a college-age student and a middle-of-high-school-age student, uh, you you do think about things like this all the time, uh, about what what are my kids going to get exposed to? Uh, and, And if Barack Obama's... You know, like like any dad, he he Rush may very well have been spot on with that because you, you don't know what these crazy professors are telling you. And and let's also not forget something here too. Let's also not forget something. Um, it, it's increasingly likely that Rush is exactly right because that name Obama carries with it a lot of weight. And if Barack Obama, President Obama, was trying to send a message to his kids in college. To say, don't, don't just throw in with whatever and uh, hashtag whatever movement or whatever. I, I think rush has got a great point there. The idea of, hey, don't go using the name unless it's you know something that you're really into. I, I think it's a really, really interesting take. Let's go out and talk to Larry in Raleigh, North Carolina. Larry, welcome to the Rush Limbaugh Show. What's on your mind today, sir? Thank you so much, Brett Winterville. Um, I just want to say eternal dittos out to rush um thoughts and prayers to his whole family this is a privilege i'll try to get my story real quick here um rush is the best friend i never met um my i learned to listen to rush from my father back in 90 and um my, my father would carry the radio around listen to rush rush has helped me paint more rooms in my home he has helped me while i was up under a car changing the oil or working on my motorcycle He's been with me while I rewired my entire boat. Yep. Um, I, I can remember things where Rush was quoted for saying, you know, I hope Obama fails. And I can visualize exactly where I was in my yard raking my leaves that day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The experience with Rush has is, is just been incredible, and he has missed dearly. You know, it's 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 test, great testimony to his power in, in your life, his impression on you in your life. And in the lives of so many millions of other people. And that's why that's why we're, we're doing these programs in the way we are, because so much of what he said throughout the years is exactly spot on. And the analysis stands up regardless of, say, the circumstances that are moving at a given point, Larry. And it also speaks to something else. And I'm so happy you talked about this component, because Rush obviously loved the broadcasting medium, loved radio, succeeded at every medium he, con- he, he, he took on. But in terms of radio, this is the most intimate medium there is. And we are with you during all those times and the good times and the bad times. And there's that's that connectivity between Larry and Raleigh and and Rush Limbaugh and that connectivity that you heard earlier today between the the businesses in this country uh, and 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 Rush and the uh, award that was that was uh, given out uh, by Catherine Limbaugh earlier today uh, to to help these businesses continue to thrive. This is a, a relationship that believe believe me is is symbiotic and it goes both ways and I'm so happy you were able to call and express those feelings because uh, I, I can tell you firsthand that this audience meant the world to Rush Limbaugh and that's why we're carrying it forward. I'm Brett Witterbull on the Rush Limbaugh Show. Tremendous day of broadcasting here on the EIB Network. We conclude today's show with our EIB high note. You know the purpose of which is to celebrate Rush's spirit and infectious. Optimism. One of the things that Rush often said that that he loved was sharing his passions with you, the audience. Tech was a big one. You know, Apple never had a better spokesman for his products than Rush Limbaugh. He genuinely marveled at the engineering, the feat that went into making 
Apple products and was probably their best customer. Here, here's the thing. Even if you had no interest in tech, Rush made it interesting because he was so enthusiastic. He was like a kid at a Christmas uh, gathering waiting for a new update or product releases. And admit it, his excitement had a way of rubbing off. He must have given away over 100 iPhones throughout the years. It was something he absolutely loved to do. So we put together a montage of just a few of those special and unexpected moments for the lucky callers. Let me uh, remind you again what we're doing here with our iPhone giveaway today. We're going to announce the first winner. We have 10 iPhones. We're giving away one of them each day. The first winner, Tom L. of North Platte, Nebraska. Eric, I'm glad you called, sir. You're next at a Rush Limbaugh program. Hi. Hi, Rush. Thank you very much. I'm so excited. I finally got through on the day you're giving away a free iPhone. This is the second of 10 iPhones that we have now given away. Another one tomorrow. And we'll keep going until all 10 have been given away. Now, as you know, ladies and gentlemen, we don't give away things on this program that require our winners to spend money. We're going to send every winner enough money to pay for two years of service. Time to give away another iPhone. This is number four. And we've got six more to go. All right, well, I bought about 40 iPhones to give away to staff members and friends and so forth. I think they're cool. And uh, everybody I've sent one to just absolutely loves it. Thanks to you, I finally bought an iPhone. And I cannot tell you. You'd be amazed at what I can do with my iPhone as a blind person. Oh, I, believe me, I know the accessibility features. Rush, you haven't talked about the new iPhone. No, I haven't talked about the new iPhone. Because if I bring up the new iPhones, I'm going to hear from the Stick to the Issues crowd. But I'm going to tell you, I'll give you a little hint here. This new iPhone 11, this thing is going to be hot. It's blazing. Have you seen this? You can't buy an iPhone 11 in New York. The Apple stores are out of stock I think I may have more iPhone 11s than they have. I still have plenty of stock. I'm calling on a dinosaur iPhone 4. I'm, I'm sorry to report. Uh, Ray, you made a big deal here about having an antiquated, worthless iPhone 4. Do you want a replacement? I don't have very many left. You know, I've given away over 130 of these, but I think I've got some back there. Rush, you are generous and gracious, and this is part of what makes you the best guy on radio. Outstanding. This this is why it was always such a pleasure to, to spend time working working with Rush, because the passion for technology was wasn't forced. It wasn't like an endorser doing, you know, pushing, pushing a product. It was genuine and sincere and, and real. He, he, I, I used to watch as they would come and they would install new equipment, uh, new computers, uh, new, new Apple computers, Macs, you name it. And he, he was stoked when that, when that technology was coming in because he knew it was going to mean uh, cooler stuff that he could do in terms of projects and uh, editing and writing and, and all of that. It was all done with an eye towards improving uh, the content experience for, for, the, uh, for the listeners out there. And that's, that's always been a, a front and center uh, desire and wish. You know, every monthly issue of America's number one political newsletter is driven by Rush Limbaugh's vision, humor, and optimism, plus cutting-edge news analysis. And as long as liberals do and say stupid stuff, the Limbaugh letter will prove them wrong, call them out in the wildly popular special kind of stupid and stupid quotes features. Subscribe today, and your new subscription includes one free issue, a total of 13 issues. It's available in both print and digital editions. So order today at RushLimbaugh.com. That's RushLimbaugh.com. In a matter of moments, we'll be back, and I'll share with you a closing thought. My name is Brett Witterbull. I'm your guide today on the EIB Network.
I am Brett Witterbull, the uh, guide on the Rush Limbaugh show today, and uh, I always enjoy this time of the uh, of the week. Not because not because it means that that we're wrapping up for the week, but what it means is we get to go and spend time with our families and our friends and, and relax. And I think it's a, a hugely important thing that we do that. There is a, a percentage of people in our country that think this country is is going to go away, is failing, is losing. Uh, it doesn't have a, a, a future. And they're wrong about that because we have a very bright future. What we have on our side of this argument is hope. What we have on this side of the argument is faith. And what we have on this side of the argument is charity. Three incredibly important things that we carry with us. There are people who are going to, uh, over tonight and across the weekend, sit and be angry, and and be bitter, and all of those things. We need to take an opportunity and, and recharge and get together and, and, and be with our closest friends, family, what have you, and to remember the blessings we have. We can get caught up in a lot of the fights and then overlook the blessings that we have. We live in the United States of America in an incredibly important time, and we get to be here together to continue the fight moving forward. People that have helped me throughout the day. I want to thank Crash and Allie and Joe and Greg and, of course, Craig and Susan and the whole team here at the EIB Network because these folks help to continue to steer this ship towards that hope in the distance. And I'm confident of it every step of the way. I'm Brett Witterbull. Have a lovely weekend on the EIB Network. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.